RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log Supplemental, number 51. Another one from Comic-Con. Welcome into this supplemental edition of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. Yeah, John's not here. Here's the thing. As I record this, I am seriously just a couple of hours away from leaving for Las Vegas. Where's John? I don't know. He might be packing to go to Las Vegas. He may be on his way to Las Vegas. Heck, he may be there right now. But as we promised earlier this week, or last week now, I guess, we did want to bring you a panel that we did a little over a week ago now at the uh, at, at San Diego Comic-Con. So we brought you last Thursday the panel we did with the Southern California podcasters. Uh, we also did a panel with uh, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Well, with some members of the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Names and voices that you may know. Actually, names you may know, some voices you may not. Trevor Roth of Roddenberry Entertainment was actually there as part of the panel. Of course, John Champion from Mission Log, Ken Ray from Mission Log, uh, Larry Nemechek from The Trek Files. And then we were also joined by a guest, uh, Ming Chen. He's an actor. He's a podcaster. You might know him from Comic Book Men. He sat in on part of the panel. Uh, the whole thing was um, uh, moderated by Claire Kramer, who you may know from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You may also know her from her uh, work that she's done in years since. She's got a new series, actually, I just found out about. It's on Amazon. I can't think of the name of it. Oh, that makes me a terrible person. Dark Web. There. Now I'm a less terrible person. Dark Web is the name of the series. I believe it's on Amazon. I know it's on one of the streaming services. Anyway, you got a bunch of people there who either have worked in science fiction or who are interested in science fiction or who talk about science fiction. Guess what we talked about? Um, so we have just turned the topic to science fiction and what defines science fiction. John, let's kick off with you. Oh, oh, sure. <laughs> uh, that's easy. No, you know what? Ken and I were talking about this uh, on the train down, and um, it's really hard to put a finger on exactly what it is because we think about, okay, well, you know, spaceships and laser guns and projections of the future like Star Trek, but then is Star Wars science fiction as well, even though it takes place a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away? And I always make the case that James Bond films are science fiction. <laughs> and I, I tend to go back to something that a, an improv teacher that I had in Chicago used to say. It's like, all right, if you're doing a scene about science fiction, there has to be a machine. There has to be a technology. There has to be something that is challenging or, or creating a dilemma for the people around it. And he would go back to Frankenstein as the original science fiction story because it was a technology that had to be grappled with that then said something about the people who were affected by it. So I, I, I like kind of using that as a starting off point. I kept trying to challenge him and think of examples where we could do a scene about science fiction that did not have to have that element, but I kept coming up empty. So now I'll defer. Yes, there's definitely reoccurring themes. I mean, I definitely technology, science, time travel is another reoccurring theme. Uh, Ming, you were nodding your head down there. Yeah, I just, I, I do, I want to travel in time. Like, I got a flux capacitor tattooed on myself, for God's sake, and, it, it, and it still didn't work. 
it still didn't work. That's awesome. But, yeah, I think science fiction for me has always been uh, kind of like stuff that I would like to see and then using science to get to it. So whether it be as simple as um, like reconstituting food like they did in Back to the Future where they remade that pizza to time travel or laser swords and um, uh, you know, having a way to uh, ex- explain it where um, a simpleton like me can understand it and enjoy it. And, uh, and that's where things like, like Star Wars uh, really resonated with me back in the 70s. Like I, I don't know much about quantum theory or, or, or quantum time travel, but then I watch Endgame. I'm like, oh, well, that's easy. You just got to put everything back, and it works. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, and I love that, whether, whether or not that really works or not, I don't know. But then I love how things uh, you know, like iPhones became a reality. And, and uh, you know, it... Um, yeah, hopefully, I don't know if I'll live long enough to see laser swords, but you, you, you never know. We still have a long life. I, hopefully, I still have a long life to live. Not it's got to have science in it, right? I mean, like, you can't... His, yeah. I was, you know, like, if you look at Wikipedia, they have, like, all these uh, authors who've, like, put down their own definition of science fiction. And a lot of it has to do with um, you have to have some sort of technology or science, or you can't, you can't have something magical that's... that's uh, part of a science fiction universe. There has to be something, you know, they still have to use the, the laws that exist right now. So, and I, I kind of feel that way. Like, it, it has to be something that's, uh, maybe it's improbable, but, but it has to be at least plausible otherwise. Yeah. I, I would just say that, um, at least for us, and, and you know, um, everybody has their own vision of science fiction, but for, for Roddenberry, um, and I think for Star Trek, um, I would say science fiction, and it's really entwined in all these things that people have said, um, it has to be about us um, at the end of the day. And, and in, in looking at the idea of science fiction, which obviously predicated on, on science in some form, um, which you know, Gene and, and we take great strides still to make sure is, is somewhere based in science, is a connection with um, our lives and what our lives maybe either could be or were or uh, will be, um, but it's that connection, that human connection um, with the possibility of, um, and it's not far off in a place that we won't, won't be able to get to or, or, or maybe we'll never see. It's a place that it's possible for us to reach somehow. And I think that um, that science oftentimes grounds that, but I think fundamentally it has to do with that believability of could we you know, be there? Can we relate to this? What would happen if? And can we ask that question? Is that what you find or you think others find appealing about the genre? Is that sort of um, euphoric, futuristic point of view? Well, I I mean, I I think when you're talking about Star Trek, at least, I think one of the great things that I always can say is it's not anybody else that's on the Enterprise. I mean, it's, it's... your great, 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 how many grandkids that are actually on the decks of the ship. Um, and because of that, it is um, us and a place we will get to and a place we get to explore in some form um, much different than many other uh, fantasy or, or maybe sci-fi um, endeavors that are out there. You know, this franchise allows us to kind of see what we can be and where we will go. 
That's where I'm coming from with, and it's ironic that we're in the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11 right now. When I, I was a, I always tell people, I was a NASA kid before I was really a science fiction kid and a huge history buff. And I really come from the excitement of, you know, the Apollo and the early uh, space flights and a love of history. And for me, that was my segue, building on what Trevor was just saying, into Star Trek, because it is us in the future. I love Star Wars. I love all kinds of fantasy, science, you know, all these what-ifs. But Star Trek is us projected forward, and it's tied into us. And, and anytime Kirk would do one of those speeches where he goes, yes, think of it, Caesar, Napoleon, Hitler, Lee Kwan, Colonel Green, and, you know, you knew right where he was, because it went from our past to the future. And everything that spins out from that, the, the science... The, the history, the here's the lessons we learned or we should have learned and now we're not, only it's just, it's wearing different clothes, it's wearing different technology and we're dealing with it. And that to me is um, not, I, I always, I finally realized I didn't come to science fiction in a traditional path, but you know, here we are. But there seems to be such a symbiotic relationship between space exploration and science fiction. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly they're, they're you know, tied together. Um, and that origin story, I don't think you're alone in having the mm-hmm. origin story be from the space exploration point of view. I'm curious, uh, Ken, what was your first sort of, when you were growing up, experience with science fiction? Maybe the first show or movie you saw that you remember thinking, wow, that's different. That's, that's something that I... I am connecting to on a different way. Oh, it was Star Wars. I mean, because I was seven. I mean, there, I, I, we were talking about this on the way down as well. I mean, if you if you talk about your entry into science fiction, I mean, John claims to remember being into the Six Million Dollar Man before Star Wars. I kind of doubt it, but you know, there's a picture of me at four, maybe five years old, with the red running suit I had my grandmother sew for me, and and and. I'm wearing the Rimco Star Trek utility belt around that outfit. Right. And, 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 and I'm holding the Mego, Kirk, and Spock figures at the same time. This is all pre-Star Wars, man. I swear right. to you. I swear. It would be so awesome if John I Champion, the picture crossing right the streams. So, yeah. the I, 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 since 19... I'll get it for us one day. We came to it all. I mean, there was so much stuff being thrown at us, right? The very first, honestly, the very first science fiction thing I remember is somebody gave me the Mego... Bridge. I didn't know who any of these people were. My grandparents went out and spent probably what felt like an ungodly amount of money, and I wish I knew what happened to it because it's worth so much more now. But, I mean, it, we, we were just, like, given, like, science fiction, like, go play with this. And yet, I'll tell you, the thing I remember most is taking that blue Boba Fett that they sold around, uh, around Empire Strikes Back and flying it all over the Sears while my mom was buying something. <laughs> but then it's years later, I mean, it's, it's when the ideas, I mean, it's, it's the ideas that have actually stuck with me. Um, and that's, that's where Next Gen really caught me. That's when I think I became a fan of science fiction as opposed to a fan of Star Wars, or as opposed to a fan of whatever show was, you know, was on at the time. That was when I started to watch stories that really opened my mind in different ways, um, studying them. Because I'd seen Star Trek, but I hadn't really studied it the way I did, like at 16 or 17 with TNG. You know, Trevor, you mentioned um, a while back comics, and, and Ming, you obviously have a lot of experience <laughs> with comics as well. Do you what read is... comics, Ming? <laughs> I've, I've, I've read a few titles here okay. and there, yeah. What, what, is, what is the difference between reading a science fiction comic and watching one on the big screen or even the small screen? What can you, what is better about each of those mediums? 
Um, I think you know the, the comics. You can get obviously deeper. Um, you can you know you can have a twelve issue run. You can have you know a hundred issue run. Um, although, did anybody read the original the Marvel Star Wars series with the the the, the bunny? I think I think his name was Jackson over here. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we got we got some fans out there. But I think the ability to expand into kind of that um, that episodic. Uh, well, I guess you can do that with TV as well. But I think uh, just the, uh, just the writing on the comics, you're really able to get a lot more in depth. But um, you know, what do you, what do you want to see more? Do you want to see an explosion on a you know on a comic book, or do you want to see it on a big screen? So you know, they definitely both have their merits for sure. Wait, it, there was a bunny named Jackson. I believe his name was Jackson. Am I correct? Uh, there was there was a space bunny, yeah, in the original Star Wars um, uh, comic book series. Um, uh, <laughs> and when they were writing, this is before Empire Strikes Back. They didn't know what direction they wanted to take Star Wars in. So uh, I think four in in the series four times uh, Luke and Leia make out because for what, various reasons they didn't know what they were that they were going to be brother and sister yet. So that's you I, know that's all that's that's very weird. I heard Jackson came this close to being the focus of the Star Wars Christmas special. He, he could have been instead uh, they, before they shifted to yeah. to Lumpy and and uh, and um, and B Arthur and Carrie Fisher uh, singing in the Star Wars holiday special. Um, <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, they, they both definitely have 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 their merits. Um, you know, it's it's kind of like uh, you know, Game of Thrones. Uh, you know, obviously watching on TV is, is great, but you know, with the books, um, you can get way more detail, different, more characters, well, and think- uh, you can slow it down a little bit. For the first time, technology's caught up with the, you know, the ability to portray certain things on screen that we'd never had the ability to before. So, you know, comics used to be able to tell the stories that we could never tell due to budgetary or technology. Yeah, you do whatever you wanted on the. If you could draw it, it happened. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, well, now I want to sort of discuss. We've brought up technology and we've brought up um, how it's an integral part of science fiction. But what's the importance of that for our culture and, and sort of the exploration of future technologies through, through written or television film works? I think, I think for us, you know, right now we're in a really interesting place with technology. I mean, we're, we're getting to a point where most of us can't even keep up with it and it's just continuing to grow at exponential rates. And I think because of that, um, you know, it's not as much about technology but perhaps our relationship with technology and where it sits in healthy way or an unhealthy way. Um, it's something we really like to explore um, in a number of properties that we have um, and are working on because I think that... Um, at the end of the day, it's sort of like how how do we use technology, and and we are those people. You know, it's like, you know, people say, you know, and you know, guns don't kill people; people kill people. And wherever you stand on on that issue, of course, it is correct in the sense of you know, the people who are in charge of the technology, the people who are dealing with technology, are the ones who, at the end of the day. Um, are going to determine whether it's used for sort of good or bad or progress or not. And, um, and uh, from that standpoint, I think that we just have to keep questioning through science fiction and through really great stories um, what we want to do with technology and where we want it to live in our lives. See, that, that to me is actually the more exciting part of it. I mean, the technology, the technology has to be there, but one of the things that we always say on uh, Mission Log is, you know, well, so there's a problem, so what they're going to do is tech the tech. Because the technology, at least for the way the way I watch stuff, 
the technology doesn't matter as long as it doesn't take me out of it. But really what science fiction does, it seems, is it opens you up to, to really exploring new ideas. Because now we're talking about 300 years in the future. Mm-hmm. You can't tell a story about a society that's perfectly just and balanced and healthy and delve into Earth's past, because we haven't quite yet. So then you can go, okay, but let's say 300 years from now, we've, we've, solved, uh, we've solved war, we've solved poverty, we've solved all this stuff. Now what kind of stories can we tell without having to say, yeah, but that wouldn't really work or that didn't really happen? And I know there are lots of people who complain that, like, well, Star Trek doesn't really work or it wouldn't really happen that way. Well, give it time and buy the story. Uh, Chuck was saying the other day, if you buy the premise, you buy the bit. Buy the premise that we can do that and laser swords and warp drive and all of those things, you've kind of, you've kind of uh, tricked somebody into being open to new ideas at that point, it seems to me. Why, why do we keep not saying lightsabers? I'm just curious. <laughs> I was doing a callback. Is copyright? Okay, sorry. Uh, trademark Lucasfilm. Copyright Because laser swords might have an actual longer range than a lightsaber. Oh, because okay. I'm going to have to fact check that, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I started to say something. Um, Josh, did you have any thoughts? No, I was just going to say, like, I think science fiction is also, a, you know, a great way to uh, explore all kinds of issues that, that you can't really do with, you know, maybe a historical biopic or something like that. Because you can't create, you know, in stuff that happens in, in the past, you can't really... Um, you know, create a different world where where a, a different you know species of of uh, people is you know has a different society. You can't you can't make up a completely different society in a historical you know movie. So science fiction allows you to do that. Um, I also think that science fiction is a is I mean this is my own personal thing is that that I think it's a great opportunity to to just put in a little actual science. You know, like I think there's, there's, uh, you you don't need to mess up the story. Like stories are what we get excited about, and and you can just put in some real science, and we can, you know, just like uh, when you put vitamin D in um, in the milk, like you can still bake whatever you want, but uh, there's still some good stuff in there for you. And I I, f- I feel like why not just make the why not make the science, um, you know, accurate, and then you can teach a little science, even though. Uh, you're not, you don't know you are. You know. Do you feel like that tide's turning? Uh, slowly. To the positive, I mean? Slowly. I, th- I think it's definitely more than, you know, when I was a, when I was a kid. But, um, but I do think that sometimes there's a lot of, uh, we just kind of do what's been done before. And, and there's, a, there's a whole, you know, if you're writing science fiction, you should just talk to scientists, man. They're, they're doing <laughs> so much cool stuff that it just opens it up for stories and, and uh, you know, stuff like the, the kinds of issues that they have to deal with, the kinds of things they're, that they're, you know, figuring out. That's, it's just a, it's just a ripe, uh, you know, field for, for stories and ideas that you can, you can make from that, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I'd like to open it up to audience comments and questions. You guys can line up at the mic. I'm sure you see it in the middle of the room. Uh, You can direct your questions toward any of our podcasters or just have a statement or comment about science fiction as we continue the conversation here. as I was sort of looking over the traits of science fiction, an interesting thing came to my awareness that many many of the properties are godless and and void of a god and i'm wondering is science fiction by and large an atheist genre 
John, do you want to? <laughs> <laughs> All right. John? So th- this is the funny thing about Mission Log is that the hate mail always goes to Ken, but, but get me wound up about something and I will gladly take off. Um, look, the, the short answer to your question is no. Um, because science fiction is a literary genre exploring the human condition. And belief and religion and all these are parts of the human condition, absolutely. However, if we narrow it down a little bit and we start to look at particularly Star Trek, um, I think one of the appeals for me about Star Trek and a lot of science fiction in general is that you're looking at people who are trying to make decisions based on a combination of logic and compassion and their sense of ethics and values outside of reaching to a holy book, outside of saying, you know, oh, well, well, here's the answer out there that was already given to us by some other source. I think that's what's really fascinating. You see it over and over and over again in Star Trek and a lot of science fiction. Now, in the huge universe that is Star Trek, there are places that explore belief, Uh, You have Vulcans with a sort of spiritual mysticism. You have other cultures. The deeper we get into Deep Space Nine, there are more complex beliefs there. But I think at the core, we look at the human characters who are us, who are ourselves, as you were saying, Trevor, projected 300 years in the future. And those aren't the characters who are relying on that to define who they are. And if you want to talk more about that, we'll be at Havana 1920 at 4 o'clock. But we do have, it looks like, at least one question there. Yeah, I'm a retired physician from right here in San Diego, and I've always loved Star Trek from since I was a teen. And I like the science in it, and that a lot of this is very plausible. You know, I can see how a... um, you know, a lightsaber, maybe not, but um, transporter, you know, it's basically just a 25th century 3D printer. Um, but I kind of wonder about some things in discovery, like the mycelial network. How did, how did we come up with that? I mean, I can tell you that um, that actually did come from science. There's a TED Talk, actually, um, all, about, all about mushrooms um, that did lead to, to that extrapolation. Um, it's probably not the most well-known uh, <laughs> part of science, and I don't think it's absolutely set in stone. But I will tell you, I know that was the impetus, and I think Brian Fuller actually uh, originally saw that TED Talk and um, was fascinated by it and kind of bore out of that. Um, I'm sure uh, beyond that, obviously, liberties have been taken, as, as uh, we do in science fiction, and, and kind of pushing that to the uh, nth degree in regard to what that might mean for us. But I think I know that that's where the origin came from. See, that's what I'm talking about. Science, just got to talk to scientists. They're, they're doing cool stuff, you know, and it's, it's, it's ripe for uh, you know, getting new stories. I mean, that's what we're trying to do in Shabam is to, is to we talk to a bunch of scientists and we, we, know, we, we pick apart the, the narrative that we created and we kind of try to see, like, is this possible? Like, could you actually, you know, infect, could a virus actually infect somebody that fast? Like how, you know, we, we, we kind of break it down. So I, I think that's, it, you know, we were talking about what, uh, influenced us early on. I start next generation was for me. That was where I was like, this is this is interesting because you're you're you you get to see uh, a society that has a different religion, right? And so you, you it's kind of like you're you're looking at oh, is that what 
other religions look like to other cultures. Like it, it was a good way of, of again addressing these issues, like looking at things that we may have just taken for granted. You know, so you know, TNG was really the the first. I mean, I I just did Star Wars all wrong. I just watched <laughs> Jedi <laughs> first in the theater and then waited way too long to watch the first two. It was just not. So I was kind of like, okay, it's a space movie. And then, uh, but Star Trek came along. I was watching that from the beginning. So. And, and, you know, and to Gene's credit, going way back to Harvey P. Lynn at the Rand Corporation, he had, unlike your Irwin Allens or whatever, they either not or ha- giving them lip service, had science consultants. And, yeah, the writers would always say, hey, we want it, we want it, we want it, but at the 11th hour, we got to do this for our story. And hopefully that changes. It's evolving. But Gene and Star Trek, science is baked into the cake even though sometimes they had to be tweaked or invented, but there's always been an effort made to include real life mm-hmm. scientists in, which absolutely. shows on screen and even from the 60s. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, how are you? Yeah, uh, quick question for the panel. Uh, of all the, uh, I don't know, tropes, if you want to use that, uh, quantum, AI, genetics, different uh, science fields, what do you think will have most sway over humanity in, say, the next couple hundred years? Oh, that's a great question. You mentioned AI. I like your optimism Anyone? of a couple hundred years. That's awesome. Keep that. <laughs> I, worry about, I worry about AI, but I worry, honestly, just about things that we don't know about. And not worry. I mean, I'm not sitting up worrying about it, but AI is already playing a part in our world that I don't think most of us understand, myself included. So, I mean, that's like the first one that comes to mind just because... I also worry about branding, though, honestly. Like, oh, we'll, we'll call this AI or we'll call this, you know, VR or AR or whatever, that people might just slap a title on something and we think, oh, okay, we've made it to that. Oh, but it turns out that that, you know, stinks. And, and, and but, you know, to make, uh, to make the Quatlus, to make the Latinum, uh, people are going to go ahead and start calling it that now. And then we sort of, like, we get there and we think, oh, well, this is, this is terrible. And so then we abandon something that might have actually been really cool. Um, I worry about our messaging a lot. I was going to say AI, just because it just touches so many other things, you know, with the rise of, you know, right now you have these deep fakes where mm-hmm. you can still kind of tell, if, you know, if you look closely, but like that's, that's going to go away. You know, you're going to, it's going to get to the point where, you know, you can't, you're just going to have to use other methods besides just looking at something or listening to something to figure out whether it's actually real. Well, everybody knows what he means by deep fakes. Have you oh, heard so, about this? Yeah. So it's like, so basically they have, you know, you can, you have computer programs that can, can take either you map someone's face onto somebody else or you can, and then you can have them say whatever you want or you can um, manipulate audio so that the, the, you know, you have someone, if you get a, finite amount of words from somebody then you can just make them say whatever you want and it, it you know the the program will mess with the with the intonation so it sounds like it's it's all right and it's just, that's just going to get better and better and at some point you know you're just not going to know you just have to find other ways of confirming whether something is true or not and the people that can manipulate i, I, I was just sitting there thinking it was ironic that in the old days we talked about having a budget and technology to make some of these future crazy stories happen and at the time we've got technology and budgets to do that these some of these science fiction ideas aren't about rockets and aliens it's about this insidious stuff the ai the manipulation of truth and reality it's like it's all turning 
as much as I love space adventure, some of the scariest science fiction-y themes. Just watch Black Mirror. Right. And, yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have time just for one more question. So, hi. I'd like to... Hi. I'd love to know if you guys have already done a podcast or not discussing the parallels between Voyager series finale, Endgame, and Avengers Endgame. <laughs> so similar. It's a good concept. <laughs> Even though I think Avengers may have gotten the science wrong a little bit, but I'd love what? to know if you guys have thoughts on it. <laughs> well, let's see. We'll, we'll probably get to the end of Voyager in five years. So, Ming? So it's coming up. What, what are you doing in late 2024? <laughs> I, uh, hopefully, I'm, I'm here at San Diego Comic Con with cool. you guys at this right, uh, convention. Well, yeah. this, this so, so I'm here. I failed to mention, by the way, Josh Kurz of Shabam was also part of that. Shabam, the latest edition of the Roddenberry Podcast Network. If you don't know what that is or you'd like to know more, podcast.roddenberry.com. Josh is a great guy. Shabam's a great show. And uh, we look forward to adding their distinctiveness to our collective. I'm probably saying that wrong. By the time you hear this, I'll be in Las Vegas. (laughs) Stuff coming for you this week. Keep it locked in. podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network